0: Today we're going to be back into 1 Timothy, and I could not have planned this better, well I didn't plan it, it just happened by happenstance, that on the Sunday when we're coming together and we, our families are here together, that we would have a family service talking about issues of the family. How many of, our, of you are a part of a family? All right, <laughs> that's everybody, right? And what we're going to see today in First Timothy is we're going to learn how to relate with one another. If the goal is to be healthy, to have a functioning family, to be solid, to be a godly family, then there must be a means or a way for confronting or dealing with wrong behavior. How many know that wrong behavior slips in to all of our lives? And there's got to be a way to deal with that as a family. Now, I'm a father, and as a father, it is one of my roles is to help my kids when they begin to behave in a wrong fashion. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And if I don't, if I don't discipline one child when they're screwing up, The other children will follow as well in their footsteps. How many have seen that or know what I'm talking about, right? And so we need to address the actions of our kids and the attitudes. But the question is, is how do I confront that? How do I deal with that bad behavior? And as a father, that's something I've got to grapple with. Now, how many kids are here, all right? If you're a kid, just raise your hand. And that should be all of us, right? Because we all are a kid at some point, right? We all have parents, even if they you know, aren't still with us. But how, the other part is, how does a child hold their parents accountable as well? How does that work? And I was planning on um, sharing just a personal story. My daughter is 16 years old now, and she's driving, doing a great job. And I'm, in some way, very thankful for the mild winter, right? And uh, she's doing great. But it was interesting, is as she started driver's training, and as she took the wheel on her own, now when she drives with me, she often will say, Dad, you know what the speed limit is, right? <laughs> Or that, you know, Dad, that was more of a rolling stop. <laughs> or that yellow-red light, you may have just slid in. I was planning on sharing that, and just yesterday, my son and I were driving home. And I was a little tired, and you know those half lights you know that you know if you're going south in Grand Haven right by the McDonald's there, there's that stupid light that lets people out of McDonald's. Well, I knew that you know I was aware that there wasn't anyone coming out of McDonald's, and I really wasn't thinking all that much, and I'm just driving, we're just kind of hanging out, and we weren't even even talking, and I you know the light turned yellow, and I just kept on going. It turned red, and I saw it turn red. So you know I'm really guilty, all right? And I, I get that. But what does my son lovingly say? <laughs> he says, Dad, you know that was a red light. And I'm like, I didn't, I, he was, I thought he was playing a video game. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't even know. But it's like, oh my goodness, how does this happen? Well, as children, and this is important for all the kids to understand, there are times We will need to hold our parents accountable. And we were going to talk about how to do that. Now, for those of us that are married with our mates, if you love your spouse, there also will be times where you need to address wrong behavior, actions, or attitudes. And let me just say, I've learned from experience the more love and the more tact you have with that especially guys just listen up the better usually that goes but the reality is is we've got to learn to confront wrong behavior it's easy to say "Ah, i'm not going to bother but that's not best Correction may be needed, discipline may be needed in all of our families. How many know what I'm talking about? It's just the truth. It's part of our human nature. Well, the same is true within the spiritual family, within the church. And there's a simple formula in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in the first two verses that we're going to see this morning. And the reality is we cannot or we should not turn a blind eye to wrong behavior. We cannot afford to tolerate disobedience. In fact, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a different story than uh, Timothy and Ephesus. This is the Corinthian church, and Paul is writing, and look what it says, and you can catch up with me in verse 5. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put put out of your fellowship the man who did this Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. He goes on to say all these things about this that Satan has overtaken. And then verse number 6 is the kind of the key I wanted to focus on. It says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works throughout the whole batch of dough? In other words, within the church context, if we allow... Wrong behavior, something sinful, to uh, to kind of fester. It will be like a disease. There will be sickness, and right attitudes and wrong attitudes. Right attitudes will be dismissed, and wrong behavior and wrong attitudes will follow. And others will see it, and they will follow in those ways. And so the important thing is that we have the right heart, the right attitude, and our goal should always be restorative, that restoration, not punishment, should be the key. Now, in the first few verses, first two verses in 1 Timothy 5, we see a very simple, straightforward, very direct, yet instructive um, uh, passage that talks about confronting sin or wrong behavior within the spiritual family within the church. And so the theme is confronting sin within the church. And it's interesting that there's nowhere else in the in all of scripture that deals with this particular topic in the way that it does, but it's very very important and and uh and it's interesting uh, to study, and that's what we're going to try to do this morning. Now, give you a little history. It's been a while since we've been in First Timothy. Remember, Timothy is pastoring in the city of Ephesus. Paul, the Apostle Paul, sends him a letter. This is the first, actually it's the second of three letters, uh, but the first one is not recorded in the scripture. Uh, but this is a church that is facing a lot of issues, and we've talked about it. There were some serious sins in Uh, in the church at Ephesus. In chapter 1, they were abandoning purity. They they were turning to godliness or to ungodliness. Uh, It says late in chapter 1 that they had shipwrecked their faith. In other words, they had fallen away from their first love, from their faith. Chapter 2, they were dealing with immodesty. Chapter 3, there were standards by the leaders that they were living lives that were not qualified to serve and they're they're having a tough time with the leaders chapter four the things that they were teaching were wrong uh, with there were false doctrine demonic in fact in some cases chapter five which we'll see next week that the older women were living were not living as they should they were just living for themselves for pleasure men were not providing for their families and older men needed uh, some correction, and so there were a lot of issues there. And in chapter six, when we get there uh, before Easter, that's our goal is to finish up our study in First Timothy. They were proud and arrogant. There was envy and strife. A church family that needed correction was this church in Ephesus, and Timothy would have understood that discipline was in order. He would have been able to look at the Old Testament and say, you know what, I need to deal with this. He would have understood that Proverbs 15.32 that says, he who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. In uh, Proverbs 19.25, same idea. If you uh, don't discipline or out of discipline, you gain knowledge. You gain wisdom in uh, chapter 15, verse 31. In Proverbs 6, 23, it says that discipline leads to life, a happy life. I think it says in the er, the, uh, message Bible, if you want to be happy, discipline needs to be a part of your life. And Timothy would have known this, but Paul helps him to deal with this. He helps him along the way to deal with, to eliminate sin, to eliminate this wrong behavior. And the key behind it all is love. And, uh, and the thing I want you to know, and, and I'm going to ask that you stand, and it's only two verses, but it's going to get the wiggles out for the little kids and for the big kids here. So just stand with me. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 and 2, God wants to eliminate sin within the church. That's the big idea of today. And so it, with you, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, We're going to read this, and let's do a little exercise together. We're going to read this together, all right? It's not very long, and we're reading out of the NIV. If you don't have the NIV, just look on the screen, and let's read this together kind of in time if we can, all right? So it's not horrible, but this is what it says. It says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. You guys sound pretty good. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that these two verses would sink into our hearts. And Lord, that it would really help us to deal with confrontation and to really work in our lives to see, your glory. God, I pray that we would not only understand, but we'd put into practice what we're going to hear today. And Lord, let it make a difference in our work and in our home and wherever we go. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. You can be seated this morning. There are two verbs that are really important to see in these two verses. The first verb is the verb rebuke. And in the Greek, it's the only time that that word is used in the entire New Testament. It's very unique, and it carries the tone of using violent force or being harsh. And so when it says do not rebuke, it's saying you should not hammer on or approach confrontation in a brutal type of fashion. So the first one's rebuke. The second word there is exhort. It's a verb that carries a military term. It's kind of a military term to encourage us to the point of victory. The way I like to see it, it's a strengthening or an encouragement, a coming alongside exhorting. So it says do not rebuke, but exhort. So when confronting an area of sin or wrong behavior in someone else's life, we don't carry a big hammer looking to whop people, right? Instead, we come to them as an encourager, as an exhorter, as to strengthen them. We see in Matthew chapter 18 a model of how to confront others, those that have offended, those that are in sin, those that have wrong behavior in their lives. We see that, that uh, that some would say, well, it's not my business or it doesn't bother me. And I would say, look, when we notice sin within the ranks here at the Gateway Church, we should consider each other as brothers and sisters, as family, and we cannot turn a blind eye to it. Just as you'd be concerned about any family member, you should be concerned with those that are displaying negative patterns in their lives. One pastor said it this way, that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is being disinterested, saying, ah, I don't care. When you say, I don't care, or it doesn't bother me, or it doesn't affect me, in, the, in this context, that is not loving. But we're called to love. Matthew 18 says when someone is involved in sin, it should break our hearts. We should be affected by that. And the goal is not to just run to the pastor and say, you deal with it. No, it says you go to that person. And then if they don't respond, you bring someone else with you. If they still don't respond at that point, you get the church involved. The reason that is, is because we all want our, to conceal our sins. The Bible talks about concealing the sins of our brothers is a sign of love, and uh, you can read about that in Scripture. But let's look, I just want to ask you a question. How many of you would want your sin to be known in the general or in the public arena? So you go to the person privately. If they don't respond, you bring someone with you. If they still don't respond, then you bring them before the church. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when you see someone involved in a sinful behavior, you should go to them and there are four different scenarios, four different types of people that you may have to deal with in your life. And this applies to every single one of us here. In the first one, it says right there in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 1 is older men. It says, "Do not rebuke an older man Harshly, but exhort him as if you were, as if he were your father. This is really p- important. Don't rebuke harshly, but exhort as a father. The key here is respecting those that are older, older men in particular. You respect them enough that you don't come hammering on. But instead, you give the benefit of the doubt. When you address an older man, you want to seek to understand. You want to try to be helpful. You want to say, how can I lift you up? How could I honor you? And by the way, that is not a new idea in the New Testament. That is something that is seen throughout Scripture to give those that are older the proper respect. You treat older men as fathers now i grew up in a healthy family and i I can relate to this if you didn't grow up in a healthy family or maybe you have a hard time respecting your father i want you to put in there your heavenly father who is perfect we need to treat others older than us with tremendous respect the second area is with younger men Look what it says. It says, do not exhort or do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if you were your father. And then it says in verse 1 at the end, treat younger men as brothers. Now, the key here, when I was reading this verse, is I'm thinking, okay, I know what brothers are like. The Bogard brothers are sitting right next to each other, and I've seen them work it out. I've been on a mission trip with them. When they have confrontation, they just go at it, right? No, just that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a wrestling match here. The idea here is that you would treat each other as equals. As equals. Mom and dad are on the equal level. How many would agree with that? They should be. And kids, no matter how many kids you have, parties, right? (laughs) You're equals. Joel is not better than Sam. Sam is not better than Joel. It's just the way God created it. And so you don't approach your brother saying, you idiot, with some kind of arrogant pride. Instead, the key, when dealing with a younger man, someone younger than yourself, you want to come to them with humility everyone say humility Humility. with an older man it's respect with a younger man it's come at it with humility being on the same level with the same kind of attitude that is seen in matthew chapter seven turn with me there matthew chapter seven this is almost comical it says this do not judge or you also will be judged that's not comical For with the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the comical part. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the big plank that's in your own? It says, deal with the two-by-four that's coming out of your eye before you go trying to nitpick at someone else. And that's the attitude. You want to come at it with humility. Humility. You want to come at it when you're dealing with a younger man with the idea, saying things like this. Look, I've been there before. I've struggled in similar ways. Not with rebuke, but being gentle. Look what Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says. I love this. It says, brothers, again, of equals, if someone is caught in a sin or wrong behavior... You who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself as you also may be tempted. The idea is that this is not easy, but we should do that in a gentle fashion when we're dealing with younger men. Saying again, things like, boy, that could be me, or that has been me. And again, it's humility with younger men. Now, the next distinction is dealing with older women. Now, this does not say old women, okay? And uh, look what it says. It says older women as mothers. You treat older women as mothers. You treat them as mothers. Now, that, again, speaks to proper respect. You want to honor your mother I don't know about you, but growing up in my family, um, my mother, uh, in many ways, until I got older and really saw the truth, and boy, I I can't believe I just said that, but uh, uh, my mom could do no wrong. I don't know about you. some Some of the kids here, you know what I'm talking about. You look up to your mom. You don't see the faults of your mom. Now, I understand as we get older that older women sin too. Maybe not here in West Michigan. I don't know. <laughs> but older women sin as well. And so when that happens, when there's wrong behavior with older women, what do you do? You come to them with gentleness. Again, not harsh, not being unkind, not exposing their fault. You be loving, you're gentle. Uh, Paul dealt with this in the, some of the other churches, in the church of, in uh, Philippi, chapter 4. He was dealing with older women in the first three verses there. You can read about that later. And uh, But the idea there, again, is to be loving, to be respectful, to be honoring in those circumstances. Well, there's a fourth category, and it's younger women. Look what it says, all right? In First Timothy, so you treat old, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. As sisters. Now, I had a sister. I had two, of, two sisters. And there was a big sense in my family, as much as we, we would squabble uh, like normal kids, but listen, I wanted to protect my sisters. In fact, when my older sister uh, was about to be married, in fact, she got engaged. And the first question I asked her husband to be, this is not an exaggeration, I said, how are you going to support my sister? (laughs) I was doing my dad's job, I think. But it was important to me. I wanted to protect her in that. And again, there's respect, there's honor and there's encouragement, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that with younger women here in a minute. But the idea is that we are a family, and just as you would in your own personal family, we've got to have love be supreme. We want to love older men and younger men and older women and younger ladies. And I want to encourage you at this point to think of people in these Four categories related in your life. Now, if you're the oldest person here and you can't think of anyone older, I get it. But other than that, I want you to think of four people, people that you interact with. And the question is, is when there is wrong behavior, when there's something sinful that needs to be addressed, how do you approach that in your life? And the reality is you can't say, well, I'll let someone else do it. The reality is, if you're aware of it, the loving thing to do is to bring it to the front with respect, with encouragement, and all these things covered in love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, there's a little caveat at the end that I didn't read when we looked at younger women. And I want to focus on this because I think it's a big issue uh, for us to be able to get our minds around. It says treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. And then it says this, with all purity. Now, our society really doesn't do us a whole lot of favors in regards to this. But we want to treat younger women with all purity. We want to, I would say the principle is really general, we want to treat women with all purity purity. And I would say, even women, you want to be pure in the way that you act as well. Now, t- to treat someone as a sister, like we said, you want to protect them, you want to respect them, encourage them. I would say, from a father's point of view, to, to treat them as a daughter. I want to treat younger women as my own daughter. And let me tell you, guys, I am zealous about how others treat my daughter. It is important that they respect her and that they have good boundaries around her. And it is my responsibility to protect her. And I'll promise you this, if someone is interested in my daughter, they better respect her. Amen? All right, I'm just saying. Now the principle (laughs) is how to interact with younger ladies. And the reality is, is the children here, all right? If you're in Club 252, give me a little wave here. This relates to you. How do you deal with other, with others and guys, all the boys here? How do you deal with girls? I've been talking with my son for years. You respect girls, right? We go out, we talk about it, we say, look, you, you know you want to be careful. you want to treat them with honor and respect. How many are teenagers, guys here? All the teenage boys? <laughs> Jack. <laughs> Jack. How many feel like teenagers still? There you go. There you go. Thank you. Listen with respect, with honor, but the truth is, it doesn't matter what age we are, the men in the room, we need to be treating ladies with absolute purity. Now, Timothy is receiving this letter, and Paul, I believe, there's an undertone saying, look, it will ruin your ministry if you don't get this one right. And we have seen, and even in our own culture, in the last 5, 10, 20 years where pastors have disqualified themselves from serving because of this issue. And we've got to be careful. And I would say it's not just pastors, it's all of us with all purity. And I want to just talk about this. This is actually something I stumbled across, something that John MacArthur talked about in the 1970s. This is a message that I was looking at, and he pulled out a bunch of things, and I condensed it to five when we talk about Working with women with all purity. And we're going to close with these five things um, that I've kind of tailored from John MacArthur. The first one is this. Guys, we have to avoid the look. Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not let her captivate you with her eyes. In the Bible, in Job, it says that Job committed not to look on another woman lustfully. Guys, what that means is we must avoid the second look. Avoid any focus that is sensual in nature. And you need to make the covenant right now to live that way and then to walk that out. This is a big deal. And I would say this, if you wouldn't look at your sister, this is the context here, in that way, then don't look at any other lady that way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number two, you want to avoid flattery or flirtation, flirtatiousness. Proverbs 5.3 says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. And by the way, I think this goes both ways. Guys can be a part of this and girls. Proverbs 6.24 says, talks again that you there's a smooth talk or smooth tongue and what happens so many times things are rough at home you know you're dealing with finances things aren't quite great and then you'd show up at work and some lady is saying oh you're so great you're so nice you're always willing to listen you're so thoughtful you're so strong or man, you're always put together so nice and then they get home and, you know, the husband's, you know, sitting on the couch with his belt undone, right? <laughs> and it looks so much better at work, right? Can I just say that is dangerous? It, we have to be careful with our compliments, with our comments. And I have personal Uh, experience with this I used to be a huge flirt and my wife can attest when I was in high school and when I got married I actually didn't turn it off right away and it got me in a lot of trouble (laughs) and I guess that's all I'll say about that (laughs) and I would say this to the young men here the children uh, club 252 teenagers don't (laughs) don't be flirtatious it's a mistake. And I've, I've paid, and, uh, and I've had to deal with that. And, uh, and that's something I would rather be disinterested or come off as rude than to err on the other side of being overly friendly or to entertain any kind of flattery. Number three, so we're going to avoid the look. We're going to avoid the flattery. The third is we're going to avoid the thoughts. Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty. Guys, let's just be real. It's sin. Jesus calls it adultery when we look on another woman in a lustful fashion. Avoid the th- thoughts that go sensual. You need to destroy it before it destroys you. And I understand that this is a stronghold for a lot of men in our culture. The thoughts run wild. And it seems at some level to even be accepted. But listen, it is our job as men of honor, young men and older men, to the oldest one here, to take those thoughts captive and destroy those thoughts and do not entertain those things. Number four. So we're going to avoid the look, we're going to avoid flattery, we're going to avoid the thoughts, and then we're going to avoid the rendezvous. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. This is worth looking at. Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 6, tells a story of a young man that gets trapped. It says, "...at the window of my house I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I noticed among them the, a young man, a youth who lacked judgment." he was going down the street near her corner walking along in the dis, in the direction of her house just hanging around right at twilight as the day was fading as the dark of night set in what happens so many times in this in these cases is you take chances you uh, you need to avoid those connections those hanging around Guys, the way that translates, in my mind, you need to avoid the late-night call, or you need to avoid being alone at a restaurant with another lady at any cost. You say, oh, we're just friends, or we're working together. Listen, sit at a different table, honor your wife if you've got a wife, and even if you don't, be ultra careful we talk about this on the staff. Pete is never allowed to be alone with another female. I am never allowed myself to be alone in the car with another female, period, other than my family. It's just wisdom. Wisdom. Avoid the connection, that rendezvous, and especially avoid her house, being alone. It is not worth the risk. You're playing with fire. If you read through the rest of these verses here, it's it's, it's interesting how the trap sets in. And uh, by verse 27, it describes the house of an adulterous woman. Her house is a highway to the grave. Leading down to the chambers of death. It's a slippery slope. You're playing with fire. Guys, gals, avoid, avoid the rendezvous. You say, "Oh, that never happened to me." Listen. My I've got cl- very close friends that have got trapped because of this very thing. It's a slippery slope. It's dangerous and from a young man to the oldest among us we must be careful to avoid that. The fifth one is this, to avoid the touch. Look at it in that same context Proverbs chapter 7 verse 13. It says this, she took hold of him and kissed him and with a brazen face she said and then she goes on and talks about her husband being away and I've prepared my home and listen, the moment that she touched, the moment that they embraced, the moment that it got too close, too personal, it was all over. It was all over. And I would say this goes both ways, guys and girls in this context, we have to be so careful of being close, too personal. Someone says, oh, I'm just a hugger. I like to, listen, be careful, be careful. You cannot, you must avoid the touch. And the filter that I would use is right out of First Timothy chapter 5. Ask yourself, would I touch my sister in that fashion? Or would I allow someone to touch my daughter in that fashion? And it may seem crude, but listen, if we have that sort of filter, it will avoid a whole lot of problems in our lives. With all purity, leave no room for question. Our society, I said early on, has failed us in this. To find good, healthy relationships is hard. There's so much dysfunction and irregular or people living against God's standard that it almost seems normal. I believe that this sermon has the potential to save lives, to save marriages. With God's help, we need to be careful in these ways. Three quick takeaways, and then we're going to be out of here. The first one is this. I want us to begin or continue to see each other as family. Just look around. Everybody look around. Look behind you. Come on. I know it's weird, but you know, look behind you. Look in front of you. We are family We are the family of God. This is our spiritual family. We may not be blood-related, but because of what Jesus has done in our lives, we are the family of God, and we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we want to be a healthy, strong, godly family. Amen? And so we need to care for one another. We need to care for each other, into the second takeaway of confrontation. There will be times when we need to confront wrong behavior, sinful patterns. There's a place for confronting sin in our lives. And there's a way to handle that, a right way and a wrong way to do it. The overall idea is you do it with respect and with honor and with encouragement in your life. And can I say this? Be willing to take the risk. As a brother and sister in the Lord, I know it can be difficult. You can say, ah, someone else, or I didn't see that. I didn't want to see that, right? Listen, when you see something that is wrong, follow this guide, how to deal with older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And I'll say this as well. Be willing to receive that kind of correction, as well being open saying okay hey i need to be teachable i may have blind spots in my life matthew chapter 7 verse verses 2 and 3 talks about the third takeaway when we do judge when we bring judgment or when we bring correction look what it says it says do not judge or you too will be judged and that doesn't mean don't judge right But it does mean this. Look what it says in verse 2. For in the same way that you judge others, you will also be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. And so be careful. Be careful that you're not have this horrendous behavior, attitude, action that's glaring for everyone to see, and you go and nitpick someone else. So when you do bring confrontation the goal is to be gracious to be humble to be gentle and to be kind right to lead maybe with your own story saying you know I've I've struggled here or I've uh, I've seen this before and I'm I've seen this in other people and boy I'm I'm concerned or you seek to understand say hey help me understand why I've I've seen this behavior or this uh, action. The key in the judging is to cover it in love. Love. And I believe that as we love each other well, I believe that the family will be strong. We'll be strong. And so we help each other. We walk with each other through the thick and the thin. And God, he wants to help us in these areas. And so we can come back to these two little verses for a strategy of how to deal with someone older, younger, no matter what the case might be. And we want to pray that the Lord would help us in these things. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, that your word is so practical. It's so good. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you have given us instruction how to confront others when there's wrong behavior, when there's sinful attitudes. And Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves first. Lord, we'd seek to uh, examine ourselves and uh, really come clean with areas that are displeasing to you first in our own lives. But then, Lord, help us to be watchful, to be, have a mind to care for others as if we were brothers and sisters in the Lord, which we are. God, I pray that you would help us in these matters. And we ask this for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.